Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Booth, and I've been a clinical hypnotherapist since 2011. I specialise in helping people overcome anxiety and build confidence instead. This weekly podcast will cover a wide range of mental health issues related to anxiety, along with some helpful tips and suggestions that you can try at home. If you have any questions that you'd like answered in a future episode, then please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to this week's episode. Uh, Firstly, I wanted to start with a huge thank you to those people who, having listened to last week's episode, have shared with me some pictures of themselves taking part in the nature challenge that I talked about. Um, I've had a few people reach out to me on social media to share some of the things that they've been up to. Um, So I just wanted to say a massive thank you for letting me know how you got on because it was so exciting to see what people had been up to. Um, If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, make sure you head back to my previous episode where I talked about um, nature and how you can involve nature a little bit more in your life and why that might be a good idea. And also, seeing as I've mentioned social media, I'm also going to mention that if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, then you'll be able to see updates of things that I post, updates on new podcast episodes, new blogs, things like that. Um, So it's quite a useful thing for you to follow. All you need to do is have a look for anxiety to confidence and you'll be able to find me right there. Now, this week, I'm going to be talking about self-compassion. Um... For a few reasons, actually, but the main thing I'm going to focus on this week is why self-compassion is quite hard for some people. Um, Because we see on social media a lot, a lot of the stuff about self-care, being kinder to ourselves, things like this. And it can be really, really interesting because there are some people for whom those kind of messages are actually quite difficult. They're quite stressful. It's quite difficult for them to actually to engage with it and to do it. So I wanted to focus on self-compassion today and firstly talk through a little bit about what it is and why it's important, but also have a bit of a talk about why it might be difficult to do so that if you're somebody who is struggling with those messages, I'm hoping this will reassure you a little bit. And also at the end, I'm going to talk through some things that you can have a go at so that if you would like to get started in a small way, then you can do, whilst understanding that this particular thing might be a little bit challenging for you personally. Now, the good thing about self-compassion is there's loads and loads of research about it. Um, And I came across a lot of this research as part of my master's degree that I'm doing at the moment. So I found it interesting on an academic level um, because we were doing a case study of a gentleman with quite severe depression. So it was interesting from an academic point of view to have a look at where the evidence base for these kind of things are. But actually I found that I developed quite a personal interest in this concept of self-compassion. There's an interesting reason for that really. Um, Actually, the more I read about self-compassion and what it is and how you use it and the ways in which you can explore it, I realized it's something that I'm actually not very good at myself, which was quite an interesting thing to consider within yourself. Now, it's pretty amazing uh, in that because I'm furthering my studies in psychology, uh, working as a hypnotherapist, I'm very lucky that I get to experience quite a wide range of different ways in which really people learn to manage things like their anxiety. Um, 
Although I specialize in anxiety, I often end up working with other issues that come alongside anxiety. So depression is a very common one. Um, Self-esteem issues is a, a huge aspect of what I do. So it was really quite interesting to think about self-compassion in terms of how I might be able to help my clients better, um, but actually also how I might be able to help myself a little bit better as well and continue my own personal journey on trying to become um, the kind of person that I would love to be able to be. So it is quite tricky for a therapist to say that actually I'm not great at something like this. Um, And realising that I'm not great at self-compassion was quite a tricky thing for me to kind of admit to myself. But the cool thing about being a therapist, the cool thing about doing all this stuff by furthering my studies, by exploring my own issues in my own therapy, is that I get to learn from all of these different things. So they become really, really good opportunities. So for me personally, in order to get better at something, I personally like to understand it first. So what I'm going to do is use this episode to talk about what self-compassion is and then start to explore a little bit why it might be a struggle for some people. And then, as I said before, just give you a few ideas about how you might be able to get started in a really small way that might not be as difficult to imagine yourself doing as maybe other things that you've seen. So it's a really quite simple approach, um, particularly if the whole concept of self-compassion seems a bit unattainable or even seems a bit stupid to you as well. So what is self-compassion? Really it's made up of a lot of different things and this is where some of the evidence is actually really really helpful because in order to study self-compassion people have to define it first. So it has different aspects to it. Some of these aspects are things like increased kindness towards yourself. That seems like an obvious one but it's quite a clear one as well. Reduce self-judgment. An increased feeling of a common humanity. Reduced isolation. Increased mindfulness. And reduced over-identification of negative thoughts and feelings. Now that's quite an interesting list and it would be useful at this point to have a think about what those different things mean to you. So for me what I took from this list is that self-compassion really seems to be about treating ourselves and our thoughts with kindness, but also having a bit of an understanding of the people around us that might have similar thoughts and struggles too. This idea of being part of a common humanity that maybe a lot of the experiences that we have are shared in some way, not in every way, but in some way. And to me, that list also seems to encompass a greater awareness of how we think and feel but without allowing ourselves to kind of become those thoughts and feelings. So it'd be interesting to have a think about what that list of things really mean to you, what self-compassion means to you, and how you would describe it to yourself and to other people in order to really kind of get an understanding of what you think that means. So why is self-compassion important? This is one of the key questions. If we're going to take the time and effort to learn how to do something, there has to be some benefits to it. Now, as I've already mentioned, it's becoming much more widely researched. So there's more and more benefits that are starting to be shown to be associated with self-compassion. And one of the big things that I found really, really interesting is that self-compassion can be seen as a source of strength and resilience, particularly when dealing with life stresses. So things like uh, big changes, 
chronic health issues and there's even evidence out there that suggests that it can help with body image issues um, which are again very common. It's also been shown that self-compassion can actually help motivate us which is a really really interesting concept for me. Um, I'll explain a bit more about why later on actually but self-compassion helps us motivate ourselves to do better in our lives and interestingly it's particularly important that we practice self-compassion about past failures if we're looking to motivate ourselves in the future. Now, one of the most important things to me, the work I do, um, work with clients, is that it's also been shown that self-compassion can significantly reduce depression and it helps people feel like they have a much greater level of life satisfaction. Now, All of these things are evidence-based. There are research papers that have shown this to be the case. In the description for this podcast, I'll put a list of references so that you can go have a look at some of these papers. And I would strongly recommend that you do, to be honest, because certainly in the the area of mental health, um, (laughs) mental health especially, it seems, there's obviously a lot of stuff that gets put out on social media. And all I would say is have a look at some of these research papers because it's really, really interesting what they find. And it's really, really useful to know where there is evidence for something. So really one of the key things that we need to think about then is why do people struggle with this? I mean, it seems like a fairly obvious thing to do. Be kinder to yourself, motivate yourself, reduce your own depression, um, improve how happy you are with your life. I mean, it seems fairly obvious, right? <laughs> so why why would you not do this? Well, I did want to touch on some of the reasons why people might struggle with self-compassion, why it might seem like a bit of an alien concept or it might seem a bit ridiculous or all sorts of different reasons why people might hear it, see it and initially reject it as an idea. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the possible reasons because there are many. People will have their own individual reasons why they're not keen on self-compassion. So I'm just going to talk through a few of the main ones that I have either experienced personally or have experienced through discussions with clients. Um, So a few of these reasons why people might struggle with self-compassion are things like trauma, negative self-beliefs, cognitive distortions, and also how often we see compassion. Now, I'm just going to say um, straight off that trauma is a really broad concept. It covers a huge, a colossal range of experiences that someone can have. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to keep my conversation about trauma very, very general. So I would just say that if you've experienced any kind of trauma in your life that's had some sort of negative impact on your life, then please consider finding a therapist who works with those kind of issues and think about exploring that. So what we find is when a person experiences trauma, there are changes that occur in the brain in response to this. Um, So we know that certain parts of the brain, such as the amygdala, can sometimes be shown in functional MRI scans to be larger in people who have experienced trauma. There's other changes as well. There's other parts of the brain that can be affected. And for those of you who've listened to my podcast on anxiety and what anxiety is, will know that the amygdala is a very important part in the fight or flight response too. So this kind of points to something that we call hyperarousal in the brain and basically means that the brain is almost constantly sensitised to possible danger. So for people in this state, 
really their primary focus is about survival and self-preservation. So the concept of self-compassion kind of doesn't really feature. Um, And if anyone who's listening to this has ever struggled with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, then you'll be able to identify with that constant hypervigilance that I'm talking about. So this makes it more tricky to be self-compassionate because the brain is occupied doing other things. And because trauma can be such a wide-ranging thing, there may be other things that have happened through trauma that have made that, made that person less able to treat themselves with self-compassion. So one of those things could be negative self-beliefs. Now, we can have negative self-beliefs for a large number of reasons, uh, not just because of trauma, for, for a huge range of reasons. And these negative self-beliefs, they can be really, really tricky to overcome because we tend to think that if we believe something, then it must be true. Now, there's loads of different types of negative self-beliefs, but some of the ones that would be likely to get in the way of self-compassion are things like not feeling worthy of self-compassion, not feeling good enough, not feeling like um, you really deserve this compassion that you're showing yourself, feeling like you're too stupid, too much of a failure, Having that belief that we can't change who we are, having that belief that some people are just happier than you are. I mean, these, this list can go on forever. There is no exhaustive list of negative self-beliefs that we can have. And negative self-beliefs are really quite tricky to work with in some ways um, because we often look for evidence that we're right. So if we consider ourselves to be a failure in general, we have that belief, we are a person who fails things, then we usually work out for ourselves that we are correct because, hey, previously we failed at this thing and we failed at this thing and we also failed at this thing. So here is all of the evidence to suggest that I am a failure in life. And some people actually can feel justified in having this thought process because they can use that fear of failure as a motivation not to fail again and get into this cycle of bullying ourselves into doing better next time. And this is something on a personal level that I really, really struggle with, because if you listen to any of my previous episodes, I've talked a little bit about how I failed my first degree. And it was a period of time that was really quite challenging for me. And it's really difficult not to judge yourself based on those kind of um, big things that happen in your life, because, well, the, the fact of it is that it was actually a failure. It was a bad thing that happened. So the challenge we have with things like negative self-beliefs is believing that we are something because of those things that have happened. And that kind of leads us quite nicely into cognitive distortions as well. So a cognitive distortion is a form of negative thinking that impacts our lives in a bad way. If you, again, if you listen to some of my previous podcast episodes, I talk about cognitive distortions quite a lot. And actually there is an episode dedicated to the different types of cognitive distortions. So if you don't know what a cognitive distortion is, then I would strongly recommend you go back and have a listen to one of those um, because they can be really quite challenging for people um, and they're a really key part of how we use cognitive behavioural therapy to help people overcome things like anxiety. But these cognitive distortions can really get in the way of self-compassion. And there's one that I am particularly guilty of that is really bad actually and it's the should and I'm saying should in inverted commas. Now the word should is actually one of my most hated words but yet it's a word that I catch myself using on a regular basis with myself. 
So the problem with the word should is that when we tell ourselves, or even other people to be fair, that we should be doing something or we should be a certain way, then it comes with really a good measure of self-judgment and really it's based on other people's expectations as well. And the implication of using the word should is that we aren't doing whatever it is that we feel like we should be doing. So we're not measuring up to something in our own way. So a good example of this is like not going to the gym, for example, not doing enough exercise, eating too much, whatever. Whatever it is that you personally are slightly embarrassed about yourself, you will probably think that you should be doing something different. So actually, if you aren't sure what kind of cognitive distortions you tend to do, you can head to my website, which is www.anxiety2confidence.com. That's the number two, anxiety2confidence.com. Um, and you can download on my first page that you get to, you can download your very own negative thoughts exercise. And it's a really, really useful one for understanding what types of negative thoughts you tend to do on a regular basis. The download itself, um, it actually comes with a video that is taken from a workshop that I ran. So it talks you through how you can recognise these different negative thoughts and how you can use the exercise to understand which ones it is that you're doing. So that would be a really helpful thing to do when you're considering why you might be struggling with self-compassion. So another reason that we might struggle with self-compassion is that often we treat ourselves based on things that we've experienced in terms of how other people treat us. So we kind of take our cues on how to treat ourselves from other people. This can be really, really problematic if the people around us aren't very compassionate, whether towards us or even towards themselves. So it really does help us to be more compassionate if we can see compassion from other people. So one of the challenges that we often face with therapy is working out who around us benefits our lives and who causes us stress, anxiety, who causes us to feel worse about our lives. So if you are struggling with self-compassion, have a think about who around you acts in a compassionate way towards both themselves and towards other people and ideally towards you as well. And have a think about whether you can spend more time with those people. It might be worth thinking about whether or not you can reduce time spent with people who are maybe overly harsh, too critical, maybe demeaning in the way that they treat you. And be very careful how people judge the way that you live your life. Um, because it can be really challenging not to judge ourselves when we feel like other people are judging us. So just have a think about who it might be more comfortable for you to spend time with. But overall, I mean, there might be loads of different reasons why self-compassion is quite difficult for somebody. It could be several of the reasons that I've already talked about, or it could be a completely different set of reasons. A lot of the thing that I end up talking to with about clients, and actually a, a thinking trap that I've fallen into quite a few times as well, is that often self-compassion can be seen as kind of a weakness, or you know maybe just a load of nonsense, or something that's not worth really like worrying about. The difficulty as well with social media is that we get into the realms of things like self-care and kind of pampering ourselves and that's not really what self-compassion is all about it's not about treating ourselves it's about being kind towards ourselves so it's worth having a think about how you can make it fit into your life in a different way so the key thing that we've talked about so far 
is really to have a think about why self-compassion might be something that you find difficult. And then start to consider how you might be able to change it and how you might like to change it because it's important that any changes that you make fit into your lifestyle and the way that you think. So now I'm going to talk through how you might be able to make a start with self-compassion. Now the really cool thing here is that there are actually loads of different options available. So the key thing that I would really like to stress is to find something that works for you personally. And when I mean you personally, I mean everything about you. So your history, your lifestyle, everything that is important to you, make sure any changes that you try and make really fit into that. So to kind of reiterate what I was saying before, there's no should with self-compassion. So anything that you have a go at and learn anything from is a really positive step, even if it doesn't necessarily fit with you well. Now, one of the key researchers into self-compassion is Dr. Kristen Neff. So if you have a look at the references that I said I would put in the description and the podcast, um, you'll notice that she is the key researcher in quite a large number of the the um, papers that I've been talking about. Now she herself has her own website which is dedicated to self-compassion and it's called selfcompassion.org. So that's self with a dash compassion.org. So I'd really strongly recommend checking that resource out because there is a lot on there that you can have a go at and see what works for you. I'm going to have a quick talk about some of the things that have been things that I've been trying recently Um, with mixed success. There's no harm in trying these things and see how you get on with them. So the first one um, is to think about asking yourself what you would say to a friend who is in a similar situation. This can be quite a useful exercise to do because it kind of takes you out of your own head a little bit and helps you think about things from a slightly more objective position. And if it's somebody that you care about, such as a friend or a family member or a partner, it doesn't really matter, then you're able to transfer some of those caring feelings over to that person. So how would you talk to them if they were struggling with a similar situation as you are? The good thing about imagining yourself as this other person is that some of those feelings of kindness then get transferred over to you as well. So you can then start thinking, what would it be like if I treated myself the way that I would treat a friend in this situation? And one of the key things that I found really useful is to develop this attitude of more curiosity about how these things might work for me. So it's not to say that I necessarily find these things helpful all of the time, but by being curious about it and by exploring how actually would I react to a friend who was dealing with the same situation, and applying that same process to myself, it gives you a different perspective and a different way of thinking about things. If you want to deepen that a little bit further, you can imagine that it's somebody that you really, really care about. So, I mean, I hope, or I certainly find that I personally have people in my life who I really, really care about on a really, really deep level. And I really want them to be happy, successful, be able to do all of the things that they want to do. So when issues crop up or they make mistakes, I want them to feel better about those issues uh, and not let things like mistakes stop them from trying again or damage their confidence or things like that. So if there's somebody in your life who you feel that deeply for, again, it can be really, really useful to imagine that you're dealing with them and they're dealing with the situation that you're dealing with. 
And it sounds a little bit convoluted, but by imagining yourself as that person, you do quite naturally transfer some of those feelings over to yourself in that situation. So it's a really, really useful way of just getting out of the situation a little bit and really thinking about it from a different point of view. Because it's so easy, and I completely understand, getting caught up in some of these thoughts and feelings, believing that they're completely correct, and not really taking the time to challenge and think about that. Another question that I really like to ask myself is, what if it's okay? And this is a little funny one for me, because if you do the cognitive distortions exercise, or you've listened to the cognitive distortions episode on my podcast then you'll know that what if is one of the cognitive distortions that we end up working with a lot with anxiety. So somebody with anxiety might think, what if the worst happens? What if this goes wrong? This kind of turns that around on its head a little bit, but actually you can use it in a slightly different way too. So what if it's okay? This is a question that is quite useful if you're prone to the what if, but it can also be extended to apply to kind of anything you like. So in my case, I'm quite good at looking for evidence that I'm a failure, as I've touched on before. I'm very, very good at it. There's lots of examples, unfortunately. But if you start to apply the question, what if it's okay to fail? Then suddenly you have a slightly different kind of thought process going on in your head and a slightly different argument going on. Because when we take away some of the rules of society, for example, and stop thinking that we have to abide by really clear sets of rules, then really it turns it on its head as to maybe this thing is okay actually because when I look at past failures ultimately in the process I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about what I'm capable of and what I can cope with and these are all really useful things to know and in a weird way they've kind of all led me to this point here so what if it's okay what if those failures were okay is a really interesting way of thinking about things and one that I have to say I've been having fun with exploring recently as a different way of thinking about things that you would normally use as evidence for a negative self-belief which ultimately makes you feel like you don't deserve self-compassion. So I hope you found that interesting and I hope it's given you some things to think about. Um, It's very easy to dismiss things like self-compassion Um, as things that aren't really that useful to us. But there's a huge amount of evidence that is coming through that suggests that it's actually a really important part of being able to be resilient, happier, reduced likelihood of getting things like depression, much better body image, things like that, that it becomes too important to ignore in many ways. So as usual, I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you have a go at any of the exercises, If you go on to um, Dr. Neff's website and have a go at any of her exercises, I would love to know how you got on, why you found them useful, which ones you found the most useful. So please do feel that you can get in touch. Um, I've already mentioned my website. So if you head to my website, there's a contact page there. Uh, You can also find out more information about the podcast. You can also read my blog, um, which has loads of information and lots of links as well. Um, So yeah, I hope that was interesting for you and please do get in touch and let me know how you get on. So until next week, I will speak to you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast for notifications on future episodes. And if you have the time to write a quick review, then that would be greatly appreciated. 
To find out more about me and the work that I do, please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com. That's the number two, anxietytoconfidence.com.